0: The Accutron Show, Accutron, it's not a timepiece. it's a conversation piece. With your host, Bill McCuddy, and contributors Scott Alexander
1: and David Graver.
2: It's art that you can wear, literally, and it's built for you to wear. Whoever values it more is going to pay for it more, so it's also that same concept.
0: The voice you heard at the top of the show was today's guest, Jonathan Riley, founder and CEO of Better, a creative marketing agency cultivating communities, businesses, and platforms with and for people of color. But first, me, Bill McCuddy, along with culture writer Scott Alexander and editor David Graeber, we're discussing the evolution of the sneaker culture in America. All that and more on this episode of The Accutron Show. Stay tuned. When did sneakers become a thing? That's what I want to know. I remember having just a pair of Jack Purcells or Converse. Uh, Converse All-Stars, man. S- All-Stars. Chuck Taylors. Give and them then, to me. And then when the high top came along, that was the cool. That's what you had to have. Uh, that was the Ramones. That was the 60s for me, so I know I'm a little older. But uh, uh, it's turned into this big, enormous manufacturing machine, much of which was explained in uh, that documentary about Michael Jordan, the the 10-hour thing that was—
1: He definitely fanned the flames of shoe fandom. Yeah, and made Nike uh, overnight.
0: But listen to this. This is the top 10 most expensive sneakers, uh, according to uh, an internet source. Macklemore, sadly, the Macklemore Air Jordan comes in at number 11. I oh, uh, just at, missed the at, list. $25,000.
3: That's super legitimate recording. Most, of,
0: most of these have a, a, a connection to some kind of either sports personality or someone in the music or arts world. Number 10 is DJ Khaled and Air Jordan called Grateful for $25,000. You should be grateful if you get $25,000 <laughs> for them.
3: Every time I see DJ Khaled or hear him shout, <laughs> DJ Khaled. <M&Ms,
0: laughs> uh number nine for $30,000. Uh, those are Nikes. Air Jordan's two OGs. I guess that's Old Guard, $31,000. Uh, Air Jordan 11 Jeters, 40000 bucks at number seven. Number six is Diamond Encrusted Air Force One, <laughs> $50,000. Uh, this is out of control. Air, another pair of Air Jordans, something called 12 OVO, the Drake Edition,
3: $100,000. Are for there a diamonds pair. on those?
0: No diamonds there.
3: See, I'm going for the ones that cost half as much and have diamonds.
0: Here's the pandemic friendly pair Air Jordan Flu Game. Uh, they're hundred and four thousand dollars. Uh something called Buscemi uh has a hundred MM diamond model, hundred and thirty-two thousand bucks. No, it's not Steve Buscemi. I wondered the same so thing. So they look like Steve an old one. Buscemi Hound dog? does not look like somebody you <laughs> You'd want to have uh, Air Bouchemis, some cool, some cool, uh, some cool Trees Lounge Bouchemis. <laughs> um, Michael put Jordan. on your drinking shoes. So, now this makes sense for one hundred and ninety thousand dollars. Apparently, you can buy at auction, or somebody did. Michael Jordan's game worn Converse Fast Breaks. That makes sense. Yeah, There's Converse one before of a kind, was-
3: game worn. There's oh, one course. pair of those in the world. That makes sense.
0: Correct. Now, number one, we're back to the idiots. Solid gold OVO Air Jordans, $2 million.
1: As some artist cast them in
0: gold. You know,
3: when you want to wear something really, really heavy on your feet, wear solid gold shoes.
1: Actually, guys, you know, right now I'm wearing Nike Air Force Ones made of cork. Mm, and while they're pretty practical. cool looking. Um, they don't breathe. So that's a very <laughs> really? challenging experience. But you
3: can put notes right on them to yourself, you know, using a, <laughs> a push and pin them right in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And if you have uh, a, a
0: bottle of champagne that's going flat, you can just stick a toe in there. These
1: were, in fact, collaborative <laughs> um, uh, sneakers done with Moet um, from LVMH. They mm-hmm. actually arrived to my house inside of a champagne refrigerator.
0: Well, be sure and talk to our guest about them because Jonathan Riley is someone who's out in Portland, Oregon, which seems to be the hotbed of where some of all of this has started, this Sneaker culture got, uh, got a huge launch, obviously, from Nike. One of the things that concerned me, it doesn't seem to be going on as much, but uh, there was a whole thug uh, kind of culture around stealing the, the shoes from kids and kids who really can't back afford the, back them. Back in the 80s. And that seems to have sort of calmed down a little. Is it because these things have gotten
1: so expensive, they're all in vaults? I mean, sneaker culture is ubiquitous. It's for everyone. It's for everyone now. It's like appreciating any other article of design. It's it's honestly, it's like it's exactly like fashion.
0: Well, that's interesting because there's a company out of Detroit called StockX, and we've had a guest uh, on this very podcast talking about that and, and other things. And they represent sneakers, comic books, watches, even handbags for women. And what they will do there's a there's like a Paris. Uh, there's one of the there's one that's like $100,000 that I clicked on and and I I went to my that was a size 8 for like $98,000 was the bid I went to my size 11 and it was like $150,000 so not only mm-hmm. are they valuable but their size depends on how valuable they are in terms of how popular that particular size is. StockX is an amazing amazing company that I can't believe is making a uh, a living at this, but it just proves how little we know or how little I know about this whole sneaker culture because now they are a commodity. They are a traded commodity and we're going to learn how they're marketed and how these people are attracted uh, these different companies are attracted to different celebrities and personalities and how they launch. And I'm also really curious to know, I'm sure we're going to hear about Nike and all of the other big ones, but what's an up-and-comer that maybe the, uh, our guests sure. can tell us about?
3: And David, I will pay you $15 right now for those cork shoes, just to see you walk <laughs> home in your socks.
0: <laughs> I think I'll Scott's right. You should help. have a push pin and a little <laughs> note on them that says, uh, please don't steal these. The world runs on Accutron time. Accutron watches since 1960 from New York City to around the world. Jonathan Riley, welcome to the Accutron Show. Hey, Bill. How are you doing? We are good. Uh, listen, I guess the first thing we have to ask you that we're all wondering is, how is it possible that little Portland, Oregon can be considered like the Mecca or the Garden of Eden for sneaker uh, for everything sneaker, the sneaker festival, sneaker week, and and the influence that that town has had on the rest of the world.
2: Absolutely. Well, you know, Portland is the home of the two biggest dogs in the yard, and that's uh, Nike and Adidas. And then you think about the other amazing pups in the yard, um, not even pups from a size standpoint, but just in general from, you know, their different demographics. We have Columbia Sportswear, you have Keen, you have Under Armour. So um, it's just a, a hub of really where foot culture is Really like create it um, from the the brands and their headquarters all the way down to you know you know the agencies that service them that are here and um, and the communities that really drive it from the you know just the, the nature of the people that have been you know developing the product all the way down to um, going to the place where it originated um, all the way to Eugene and different things like that for these these big brands so it's a it's a unique space but you know, uh, a big a big pot of footwear culture What are you wearing right now socks?
3: <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> no fair <laughs> Jonathan uh that's obviously you got the view from the top with these big manufacturers, these legendary names, these incredible designers um what's happening there to build sneakers from the bottom
2: really, yeah, really it's honestly it's this honestly this the culture of really getting people in place that are um Starting to reshape the culture, so you see people like the Kanyes and you know the big the big folks that are behind the brands from an influencer standpoint. Um, it's really driving a lot of the conversations um, from the concept of who's developing it as well. So you know it's a it's a it's it's a small demographic of, of people of color in the footwear industry, um, a hard, a big demographic with as as a consumer, but very small um, that services and, and creates um, and so really creating those those opportunities and those education levels with people that are influential to have uh, impact on, you know, where the shoe's created, how it's created, what, what consciousness is created behind it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just been an evolution. And it's, it's funny because it's just, you know, it's something as simple as a sneaker, but it's layers to this thing. And it's, uh, it's, it's just funny to see it. And, and it's great to see it from ground up, especially here in Portland.
3: And is that something you're pushing with the, uh, the pencil?
2: Okay. Yes. Yeah. So Pencil Footwear Academy founded by Dwayne Edwards, who was uh, a former Jordan, uh, just, you know, a- designer, but he, he designed for Jordan, but he was also the director uh, for Jordan Brand. Um, and he desi- He left Jordan Brand and started uh, pencil which is a pretty much the only footwear education institution in the world where, you know, they're cultivating and they work with all the brands to create the next levels of designers, color mis- material specialists to, you know, everything from the, the sole of the shoe to the top of, of the shoelaces um, and really creating that. And it's using, you know, the platform of free education because the brands pay for that um, and they pay for these these students to be able to work hand in hand with them and give them that hands on education. Um, but then they also get a better placement afterward. It's because they are now there you know it's no real place to go and say I want to design shoes except for now it's pencils. So the world now is. You know, really taking their head back and saying, "How do I be more than a consumer and and be more of a uh, a producer within the footwear?" And it's just such a billion dollar it's a billion dollar industry, multi billion dollar industry, and most people are just consumers. And there's a small niche of people that you know are producing around it. Um, and there's a larger group of people that actually just you know, create a lot of money off of it. So just educating people on those spaces and then giving people a fair share of those access and opportunities, um, whether it's male, more female representation, more people of color representation, um, and just acting, you know, acting accordingly outside of the traditional spot. So Pencil is a great example, but Sneaker Weeks is another great example where we cultivate that into an experience where it's pencil is more of an education focus uh, and sneaker weeks more of an experience focus so we try to hit it from all levels but it's it's a long-winded way of saying Portland's, you know, it's a a, a footwear (laughs) capital of the world. It's all (laughs)
0: happening there. Well, we've been talking about sports, Jonathan but a lot of it revolves around the music industry. This whole sneaker culture that's happened around, I mean, we had a a hip-hop auction recently Mm -hmm. where Notorious B.I.G.'s crown went for Mm $600,000. I mean so talk to us a little bit about how those sneakers that uh, musicians wear has sort of become part of the the scene or part right. of the, this whole world.
2: Absolutely. It all started with Run DMC. Uh, shout out to the homie Shake, um, who's based out of Milwaukee and has his own uh, footwear retail shop called Sneaks. Um, Black Who, Who's Adidas? Uh, my <laughs> oh, those, Adidas. Those are
3: mine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that same concept. Uh, all the way down to my former title, um, before I started my agency, was uh, um uh, I was the music manager for Nike. And so I pretty much helped facilitate the relationship between the brand and influencers, the artists, and essentially curating those relationships to get to them to inspire the consumer to want them and design different experiences and things around them to, you know, make them get that FOMO, you know, thing. And, and for me, it was always, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the biggest drivers because you see a LeBron, but a LeBron shoe is very expensive and it has a lot of technical things that you won't get the, if you just love LeBron, you probably won't get the full, but you've, Probably won't get the full benefit unless you play basketball a lot, and that's a very expensive <laughs> hey, shoe.
0: Even if you play basketball, you you're play not basketball. get the full yeah, LeBron yeah, benefit.
2: That, yeah, that's a whereas whole
3: if you get the Run DMC sneakers, you yes. will suddenly you, be able to. You'll wrap. be able to rap.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you'll be able to street battle. You'll be able to, you know. But you're a consistent shoe that comes out once a month, or I mean, not once a month, once a season. Versus, you know, you got six colorways uh, for, you know, for one season, like a LeBron or or uh, you know a different high level shoe. So it's different tiers to it, but um, it's the, the 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 music culture is the 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 driver now, and I think that was the biggest problem with uh, you know, with a lot of things with Nike is very focused on just focusing on the athlete, the athlete, the athlete, the athlete, and um, a lot of the conversations are like, well, the athlete is there, but you know, the influence, the people that are following and looking at these people, um, and with good reason. I, I know Kanye's one of the Kanye's quotes when he left Nike was, uh, you know, he can sell Madison Square Garden out playing one on one. Like there's no other athlete that can do that. <laughs> and that was <laughs> a concept of saying, really like, yeah, he has a point. Um, but you know, there were certain values and Adidas pulled the trigger more and so here's a story and you know so it's 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 just uh it's ref- the whole culture is really reflected within the the music and entertainment and you know and brands need to make sure they pay due to this artist because see, they're the ones that uh, really inspired i don't i don't really watch a basketball game uh and see a pair of sneakers like oh man i can't wait to play in those when i'm afraid to even walk down the stairs with my knees these days so like let alone <laughs> to be able to see something that um is more you know aesthetically pleasing and easy to to put on with multiple layers is more of a it's a it's an easier concept so they're very influential
1: Jonathan, I'm curious if you saw um, Netflix's ten-part uh, Michael Jordan documentary yes. because that episode on merchandising and on sneakers and Jordan's relationship to Nike was really mind-blowing for me because mm-hmm. they were expecting to sell what three hundred thousand dollars worth of shoes mm-hmm. and they sold millions and millions and that was sort of a jumping-off point for
2: Nike as yep. a brand and for the basketball sneaker. Absolutely, and because Nike was running like Nike was Bill Bill Bowerman and Phil Knight like at University of Oregon, Eugene, there is a track it was running it was about running it was the innovation behind the running making it lighter making it this so they the, the brand prefontaine Steve prefontaine like the the story is beautiful it's a i mean to see where it started and where it came from but jordan was the absolute rocket fuel um that was undom in like everything you could have imagined uh was that uh so it was it, it's it's but it's kind of cool because it you know that that those agreements were signed here in portland those things are still you know it's a. Big Big mm-hmm. part of the the campus, those storytellings. I mean, these things that changed the world were happened and signed and created here in Portland and or Eugene. So it's like, it's kind of crazy how rich it is out here, but it's also crazy to see like, oh, well, Jordan didn't even want to come here. He didn't even want to come to Jordan, I mean, Nike, uh, let alone, you know, Adidas, they were headquarters, they weren't here yet at the time. So he came to Portland and it was a, it was a wrap and he left as you as you know, his own multi billion dollar industry. Um, so it and
1: became a sneaker phenom, like yes. a phenomenon. So last time we spoke, actually, I was wearing um, Jordan Air Force Ones that were made out of cork that were done in collaboration with LVMH's Moët um, Moët Champagne. Today, I'm wearing like bright and shiny gold Reebok Wonder Woman 1984 mm. sneakers. But what I want to talk to you about is actually the time when I had. Um, Adidas FutureCraft 4D shoes that had been made for me mm-hmm. at the launch event, mm-hmm. and a person tried to buy them off of my feet for $3,000. Does that sound ridiculous to
2: you? No. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> Did he do the right thing, or Even should he sell them? Even if they're made them?
3: for someone else's foot.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 listen, it, it all depends on just like a piece of art. It's, just, it's art that you can wear, literally, and it's built for you to wear, and the materials can be very nice, but they're really, you know, they're they're still Simple materials because they're not one of ones, so they're multi- they're made in allotments. So it's you'll have some customization factors to it, but there really is a. From, the, from a brand standpoint, it's, it's, a, it's a platform that can be added, and it's an art piece. And whoever values it more is going to pay for it more. So it's also that same concept where it's just, is it sentimental, or do you really need that $3,000? <laughs>
3: I was going to say, David, what did you spend yeah. the $3,000 on?
2: <laughs>
1: I still have the shoes.
3: I oh,
0: see. <laughs> hey, it brings up a great point, though. What are, in your opinion, the top three collectible sneakers now?
2: Uh, definitely, I would say any Jordan 1s like, or like the natural OGs. Um, those but just in themselves especially when if they're well kept in condition uh the second one i would say honestly the red octobers that was kanye's last sneaker with a nike um and that was a crazy project to be a part of and a crazy obviously thing to see and witness how it led to the rest of the culture um but those are you know priced at 10000 now, now uh, or maybe more. And I know I have a pair. And I remember uh, my, my <laughs> VP, uh, she gave me it. We, we, we handled all that because I was Kanye. I was entertainment marketing. So Kanye was under mm. our umbrella. So everything Kanye from the moment he initiated the conversation about uh, being lured from Adidas all the way to um, him signing off and signing with Adidas. I was a part of it and saw it. And, and that was in the same time we were launching that sneaker. Um, so it was just a huge migraine for the entire company because we couldn't launch this the sneaker that everybody was waiting for. Um, and we ended up having to launch it after he signed with Adidas. So it was like, we just had to get rid of him. Um, and so it was kind of like, oh, wow. but the world was lo- like fiending for these sneakers, obviously now, because they're now they we had to release them. It was a part of the contract, but nobody knew when, so we just dropped them, and it was like they're gone. So, like those are like the most sought after shoes, a pair of sought after shoes, and I would say the third pair. Uh, anything signed, honestly, like Jordan. Uh, anything signed, Jordan. Anything signed, like Tinker Hatfield. These these designers that. Um, like uh, like Dwayne, who designed it for who designed for Jordan and Carmelo's and I mean, you just all these different artists. I think anything that's signed by a designer that actually created the footwear that people see as an art piece is the same thing as Van Gogh Van Gogh piece. It's the same concept of of any other platform, and you have these amazing people that put their that inspiration behind it and tell a story that marinates with the athlete that inspired you and created this cool this culture um it's pretty empowering so anything signed i always say is a great way especially if it's somebody who who designed it and or uh you know was the influence behind it and
0: you don't see a bubble i mean where this could collapse because we had the top 10 or 11 at the top of the show we were talking about and some of them were in the hundreds yeah. of thousands of dollars and i just think uh, is that is that smart it's money? like, it's like,
2: like- uh, it's just an art piece. That's why I know I would never wear my red October's. My, there, there's. I'm just seeing them as an art piece, literally. And my VP told me, she's like, just. she said, just don't sell them, whatever you do. Obviously, we're not supposed to, but she mentioned it. She said, uh, just hold on to these, and they will pay for your child's graduation. And I mean, for so your, your <laughs> child's education, my son's education. And I was like, you right. And so I was like, I never wore them. I but that, that in itself is just, it's going to keep accumulating and accumulating. And the more he does, whatever he does, uh, or the brand, that's, you know, these shoes will never be made again. So that's an art piece. So now it's like, you know, like I said, the eye, the eye of the beholder. If, to me, I would, if I'm just going to hold on to them until I decide to sell them. But it's no, seg- I, I know they're just product, um, but I'm going to hold on to them until I get that, that right time. So I think it's always a, you know, variation, but... You know, I think the the influence behind them and the shift of the culture, these shoes were probably the most meaningful pair of sneakers that ever flipped from Nike being the big dog sleeping to Adidas coming in and really driving the whole sneaker brand. So it's a huge wave in in culture and music and even film in so many ways as well. So
3: Jonathan, we talked to a lot of people who collect watches. We talked to a lot of people who have have large collections. What is considered a large collection of sneakers and how many do you have?
2: Oh man, I, I, it, that's like, I've seen, I know people who have garages, I know people who have storage units, like secure storage units, not just like, a, you know, uh. <laughs> no, st- no, run in the mill. No, no, yeah. So I, I, I don't even know anymore. I think I, I, I haven't, I've always, every time I see somebody with more, it, it's always just like, I'd expect it because it's, it's, it's literally like art. It's like a collector. So for me, uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the most I've ever seen was probably like, and my with my own eyes was probably somebody with I think they had like about 3 to 5000 um in one space and they had other spaces so um wow. I was like holy hell but they were sort they were sorted and organized like they were in a retail shop like it was organized by <laughs> sites. so wow. like it was like it was a, it was beautiful but it was also like I know people who just have a ton of shoes and you know just like like somebody with a hoarder
3: Yeah where does it verge over into hoarding? That's what I was going <laughs> to say it's a hoarder
2: it's a it's a hoard. I know I had I collected a lot but I also Gave back a lot because we also had like sample sales, and you can buy super dirt cheap. Camp- uh, if you worked at the campus uh, and like five dollars sneakers, that you would be sold in for two hundred dollars at the store. It's ridiculous.
0: I'm sending you my size.
2: <laughs> oh, that's before. That's before they they <laughs> they, sh- they shut that all down. But it was literally. I've had a lot of sneakers, but I think for me, once I once I left Nike, I was just I just saw them as just like a resource, and I was like, well, I'm gonna start selling them, and I sold a ton of my sneakers. So I'm down to. I probably have still about. Uh, 150, but I probably sold over... Whoa. I probably sold over s- 600. Um, oh, wow. And that was like... That was just getting rid of stuff. Space.
3: I admire that. Simplify your life, Jonathan. I I can get behind that. (laughs) Did you use STX,
0: or did you just sell them to friends, or how did you do it?
2: Oh, the shout out to Index, Index Portland. Another. So, just always talked about footwear and culture and sneaker culture. Uh, There's places like Index Portland where they have literally the top sneakers, all sneakers, because they're so close to all the brands and the samples and all these different shoes that you'll never see released, and the artists and the people that come through here and everybody that shops there. So, they're a sneaker. Boutique shop. So I just pretty much partner with them, and literally they're based here in Old Town, Chinatown, Portland, and they do all the work for me. So literally they post it on their website, uh, and people will literally. Tap them because they to. so they have consistent buyers who are collectors essentially um so one of the shoes i had was i don't know if you guys remember the show entourage but we had the uh the special shoe we did air force one for them and that shoe i had it in my i forgot i had it and because i was on the entertainment marketing team so i put it on there and sold it and then literally it was just like it was simple they just put it on their website and then instantly somebody hit them in five minutes and, <laughs> and it was like hey john your shoe sold and i gave them their percentage and i kept mine it was the easiest transaction ever uh but it was also they just have an audience of people that know that it's a hub for that you know if you want unique sneakers and and your size and and they're real and like they they they're literally getting stuff that you would never see uh that's index portland
1: i'm just curious if if people are interested in getting into sneakers as an investment how would you advise them what would
2: you tell them to do Definitely. Listen, like, I think the easiest way to learn anything, honestly, is there's, um, is YouTube. And that sounds crazy and cheap, but it actually is awesome and cheap because you get to have people that will tell you everything you're looking to know. Um, and they're just wanting to give you that information. It's a hub of information. Obviously, the source of where it comes from is trusted upon like your style, your aesthetic, like how you learn and things like that. But um, just so much information about how sneaker culture is and how, how it's ran and people that are talking about the science behind it and the finance um, all the way down to businesses like FDRA. And they handle all the, the regulations and taxes and trades that goes between the footwear industry and all these brand. So there's so much information out there to where um, if you're an an investor, you just want to know if you want to get in to invest to create instant return, than like a sneaker shop or something like uh, investing in a space like an index or investing in a space that allows people to create off of that, off of that platform, it's always a, a conversation um, that a lot of people here in Portland are always looking to have because it's 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 so much it's so rich. But if it's just like a somebody who is looking to get into it from an investment standpoint, of like uh, I want to start my own brand, I want to start my own shoe, I want to start my own, then that's where they can go to Pencil and get all that to where literally they're working they work with all the brands they work with all these you know influencers as well um, to create their own product their own storytelling from zero to a hundred uh, to where it's not like a Nike sponsoring uh, an artist it's more like no the artist just has their own footwear their own shoe from zero to a hundred so there's different forms of investing into it but it's always uh, it's always interesting because to me it's always like man all that I, I use YouTube to, to tell me anything uh, like, so that's like the first way I look uh, but uh, pencil is a resource um, is a great resource to even just learn about what's going on in it, in the industry, uh, as well as Sneaker Week uh, is a great way to we tie in the opportunities the, the, um, within the industry and we tie in the different things that are happening within the industry and in the culture. And we talk about things that are people, the people that are actually generating different things within the industry and, and the culture. So, yeah. Jonathan, I actually have a, a really important question for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of athletes and artists are being more vocal off the court and off the field and off the stage and standing up for what they believe in. Do you think the industry has been supportive enough to stand up for the beliefs
2: of these spokespeople? Uh, No, not at all, but... It also is like they have a bottom line, and and now when I say they, it's like I don't mean like they. Like there's like some like a old Inspector Gadget with a man with a claw and the cat, and, <laughs> you know, banging the jump. Like, but th- like literally, the, it's everybody has a job. Everybody that works under these brands, their job is to do their job. Like, and their job, I guarantee you, goes leads to a bottom line <laughs> that, that that is not. When I say they, it's more that, and it's not necessarily saying uh, specifically. So, I think knowing what's what's happening what's going on um, this has always been a problem this has not been something that's new this has been something that it's just a trend it's like now, people are talking about it so people want to you know show that they're they're trending as well and they want to support and they want to put their commercials out and they want to do these things that they're saying they're going to do and it's like these are things that should have been done as well and these are things that um, now that you're going to do it like how transparent are you going to be when it comes to helping to do those things Um, and how supportive are you going to be to the people that are actually already doing those things Um, because those are the things that you know we're looking out for and making sure that you know they're held accountable for not just their you know, their their actions as a brand, but also their actions against their employees and and the people that, you know, they represent and their athletes. So we do a program called Black Athlete, B-L-A-Q, and the Q stands for quality. Um, And we focus on developing and educating, empowering, enhancing Black athletes from young high school, middle school, high school, college, to pro, to retired, um, male, female, it doesn't matter. The, the focus is to really create that community and sharing those, not just those stories, but create, sharing those resources and those networks that, uh, empowers the next generation so we're not falling into the same traps, um, the same systematic programs and the same, you know, farming systems and same, you know, all the things that come with it. Uh, so it's really educating and empowering and enhancing those, those, those platforms. So, for us, it's always, you know, we're doing the work and we've always been doing the work and we already knew there was an alarm at the gate. And now that we see, huh. you know, everybody's, you know, seeing that there is an alarm now, you know, seeing how they're responding is just sitting back and watching is not, I'm not impressed um, at all. Yeah, it's
3: hard not to be a little cynical when you hear these big companies, you know, come out with these, um, <laughs> say, oh, f- yeah, we support all this and everything else. Talk is cheap. You know, I, I'm curious to see in the next few years. If we see these guys actually walking the walk in I sneakers, you, I yeah. doubt walk the walk, I, walk the yeah.
2: walk, I doubt it. And I would say I, I would probably get I would probably I would, I would probably bet my career and I don't, my career is my own. So I guess that's not putting too much on it. But I would say <laughs> it means something to you. <laughs> it means something to me for sure. But that, that most of the folks that created the content, these commercials and these 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 addressing the the situation, the problems are agencies that are non black are non Diverse are non-genderly represented. They're usually white males, young white males. Right. So, so,
0: you're an anomaly. Your company is an anomaly out there.
2: Yes. Where I don't know or, any other. I don't know if any other black agencies here in Portland that in doing the work that we're doing. So the work that we're doing is like we're just doing the work. We're not telling everybody. We're not showcasing. We're not looking to you know put. I a mean, commercial for an industry off.
3: that's so predicated on black entertainers, black yes. athletes, you know, to consumers have so little. Representation in the actual production side of it It seems insane.
1: Jonathan, I have a technical question for you. I mean, the apparatus of footwear itself hasn't changed that much over the years. What are innovations that people are developing now for the
2: future of footwear? Oh, man, this footwear is about to get even more crazy now. I think people are starting to really break the mold, especially the brands now, even more so the brands. And they have the resource to do it. And they have, obviously, uh, the technology to do it. And they're probably five years, and most of them are five years ahead already. But they're really driving the narrative. But now you're seeing a lot more entrepreneurs do that. Uh, and one of the pro- programs we did with called Lynx, and it was a gentleman that we worked with named Tarek, and he started his own product brand, and it's his innovation of technology using 3D modeling. Um, he came through the pencil program himself um, and is doing amazing work within innovation. Um, it's really just like blowing my mind because I see now younger and more informed designers and people that are taking those reins and doing it faster than the brands. Brands, are already pro- they already projected five years out from a design standpoint they have teams built that are working five years from now um whereas you know somebody in their basement and with the right education and the right tools there can be moving 10 times faster and then now you know now you'll see in brands try to partner with new creatives and new newer, newer innovators that are coming up in different spaces um but you know, that's where it comes down to. The whole concept is: are they just coming in big dogging people, or are they coming in to support people? And that's where a lot of those conversations have traditionally gone the other way. But I think now more innovators and more creatives um, in places like Pencil are educating people enough to know that they can do it themselves. And I would. Jonathan, pat- with
3: all this, with all the technical innovation going on, do you see uh, sneaker? Uh, creation moving out of Portland at all? Do you see it kind of moving across into different parts of the United States or has Absolutely. Portland sort of got some magic sauce? No, in the Portland,
2: water? no Portland just has, it's just, uh, just traditionally, but, you know, they have a lot of the big dogs here, but, uh, you know, uh, Boston has Converse it has Puma New Balance it, New Balance so yeah. they have they have a we were gonna do some sneaker week events there um, but then COVID happened but essentially there's, there's growth and obviously New York is the mecca of footwear when it comes to how it really transitioned and how it's used more on a daily basis there than any other space in the world um, then obviously you think about how that stretched all the way to China and how that regulated so um, for footwear culture like and uh, you know I have friends at the China headquarters China actually grows more they're, Nike's China area, uh, country developed more uh, money than the U.S. To, for the first time in a few years. So China's been booming and saving the brand in a lot of ways. So you're seeing, the, obviously, not just where they're producing the product, but now you're seeing a lot more uh, focus on the consumers in those different regions um, and getting to their consumers uh, a lot like right. we do might do here. See
3: some, sounds like we might see some really interesting um, innovation and diversity mm-hmm. coming in as sneakers become truly global.
2: Definitely. Super global, super relevant, super inspiring in many ways, because you're going to see a lot more competition. And I think you'll see a lot more competition now, but I think you're going to see uh, even more competition from developing artists and and new brands and people being more conscious to know that, you know, their parents may have grown wore Nike, but, you know, does that generation getting older and... Do I want to wear Felix? Felix coming out. Or do I want to <laughs> wear New Balance now? Or do I want, like, it's, you're going to see shifts in, in different ways, but you're going to see, you know, <laughs> the big brands tap dancing and keep your attention. And that's where those commercials and those ads come out. And it's like, oh, that's not even, that don't even feel real. Um,
3: Is there anything in sneakers that's sort of like that? Is there anything in sneakers that feels like a throwback to an earlier time?
2: Oh man, always the Blazers. Um, from a sneaker standpoint, because the Blazers are related to so many visuals and so many, uh, even if mind you, a, a basketball team, uh, national and uh, NBA team. So it's it's really. Uh, I think of, I think of just a classic transformative bla- a blazer, um, but I also sure. think that's, it's the same conversation with a classic Chuck Taylor, um, a classic uh, you know pair of shell toes, uh, all those different sneakers that you know you can you can feel, you feel a part of a community even though you're identifying as, as yourself. Those 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 style and nostalgic sneakers are are always a, a case in point and and reflected in, in culture.
1: The crazy thing is I went to Boston for the launch of the Chuck Taylor Two. What well, a few mm-hmm years back, maybe 2017, 2018, I flew there for the day, mm-hmm. because Converse has had a lot of trouble figuring out how to revolutionize the Chuck Taylor, because what was released originally was so beloved. <laughs> it's still yeah. there. I mean, it's, it's still, right. Especially by music culture, by indie culture, and the, the big revelation with the Chuck, too, was that they just made – the sole more cushioned, yeah, cushioned it was just yeah. like a gentler to step <laughs> That's on really what yeah. I wanted <laughs> the yes, Volkswagen
0: yeah. Beetle they just but, put nicer seats in it indeed, yeah.
1: indeed.
2: but the design was intact it was, the design stayed the same I have a pair of both and I remember when I got them I, was, I loved them and I still have a pair um, but there's just something also about a classic pair of Chuck Taylors that that you know it just it ha, like I don't know, it's just something that is just classic about them that I'll I'll always wait till til you get want. into your forties, Jonathan. And you oh, oh I'm not too far. I know my heel would be hurting like hell in them things. <laughs> but I'll say this: I, I'm not saying I'm going to the club in them, but I'm saying if I'm, I'm going to take some good photos in a tuxedo, you know, I can I can rock that. Right. But I can slip them back. I get back into my socks. (laughs)
0: Everything everything old is new again, innovation and diversity, and it's happening in a place called Portland, Oregon. Thanks to, in large part, a man named Jonathan Riley, who's been our guest today on the Accutron Show. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, guys.
2: Have a great day.
0: On behalf of Cool Hunting's David Graver and bon vivant Scott Alexander, I'm Bill McCuddy for the Accutron Show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Accutron Show. To hear all our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. For upcoming guests as well as behind-the-scenes action, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch. From the 29th floor of the Empire State Building. Until next time, Accutron time. Set your tuning forks.